what's the very first thing that they do? They take your vital signs, don't they? What are vital signs? Vital signs, there's three or four or five or six, depending on who you talk to, things about your health that are vital. Not just important, but vital. For example, your heart rate. If your heart's not beating, you're going to die. That's why it's called a vital sign. So the doctor, the paramedic, the nurse, whoever, they're going to take your heart rate, your blood pressure, which tells pretty much how strong your heart's beating. Uh, they're going to take your respirations, how fast you're breathing. They're going to take your temperature, and then also a little thing they put on your finger, your pulse ox. You may be breathing fine, but if the oxygen's not getting from your lungs to your blood to your body, then that's a bad thing also. So if you remember that little pulse ox, it'll tell, usually tell your heart rate, and it'll tell what percentage of your red blood cells are carrying uh, oxygen to your body. So it'll be like 95, 96, 97, 98 percent, which is normal. Why do people in healthcare take vital signs? Well, because it gives you a real quick picture of how healthy you are. Vital signs can point to unseen problems. Person goes into the doctor, the doctor says, how you been doing? He says, oh, I'm doing great, doctor. And the doctor says, well, says here your blood pressure is 180 over 120. The person didn't know he had a problem, but he's got some serious problems that need to get looked at. Vital signs can uh, point to the cause of problems. Go into the doctor or you call 911 or whatever and say, how are you doing? He says, man, I'm just tired. I can't breathe. And they look and say, your pulse ox is down below 90%. That's serious. He's got some lung problems or emphysema or asthma or something. We've got to get this taken care of. It, it could get worse quickly and you could die. And then also, vital uh, signs can just help you uh, assess the general physical health of the person. You go in and, you know, the normal heart rate is like between 60 and 80. Uh, blood pressure, 120 over 80 is good. Respiration, 16 to, right, maybe 18 to 21. Of course, temperature, 98.6. You go in and everything's normal. And, and there may be, you may have cancer, but so far, overall, you're good until we do some more tests. You go in and, and your heart rate is uh, 110. Your pulse ox is on the low side. Your blood pressure is high. Your respirations are too fast. Doctor or paramedic said, there's, there's something going on here. We need, we need to find out what the problem is. And I don't want to talk about medicine today, but what I want to talk about is the vital signs for being a Christian. Now, we all look pretty nice today. Look at Jeremy. Look at his nice shirt. I like that shirt. Jeremy's lost weight. Jeremy looks really nice on the outside. All of us, most of us, look pretty nice on the outside. But just like the paramedic or the doctor can take our vital signs and go, something's going on. Sometimes there are things going on with us spiritually that either we're not aware of or we're not sure why things are wrong. And so the first thing they do is they're going to look at your, your vital signs. And then, of course, that will lead maybe to some other tests that they need to run. So we want to look at the vital signs for being a Christian, for being a healthy Christian. First vital sign I want to look at is God's Word. Now you think probably that I'm going to tell you that on a regular basis you need to go home and get a Bible out and a concordance and you need to do your homework and open up the Bible and study. And I'm not going to tell you that. I think probably 
99% of us would say that we don't study the Bible like we should. Doesn't matter if you're an elder, an evangelist, a, a, a speaker, uh, a dad, a mom, whoever. There's probably not one person here that would say, I study God's word like I should. And even if we doubled the amount of time or tripled, it probably still would not be enough. Just like none of us go to the gym as often as we should, none of us read God's word. But there is something I do want to talk to us about. And that is, how important is God's word to you? Now, there's a lot of things that are important to us that we may not can make time for, like going to the gym. There's just so many other things, but still, our health is important to us. We still try to walk for 30 minutes or cut down on carbs or something. How important is God's word to us? When Jesus was tempted, uh, one of the things he told Satan, he quoted from the Old Testament, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was talking about two things. He said that we need food and water to be halfway healthy. That's just a necessity of life. But he also said for our spiritual health, we need the word of God. So how important is the word of God? How often during the week or during the day do we think about God's Word. We're driving down the road, and uh, you hear something on the radio. You hear something about politics or, or religion or uh, somebody getting in trouble with the law or a politician maybe doing something he shouldn't. Do you analyze that in the light of God's Word? Do you think about what, you know, maybe a politician gets caught in a affair? Do you th- relate that to what God says about marriage and men and women and being faithful and fornication. The, the, your politics, whatever your politics are, do you relate it back to the Word of God? Or do you just simply listen to the politicians and, and listen to the news people and let them make your decision? Is the Word of God important to you? Everything you see around you and everything that happens and everything you hear, do you filter it through God's Word to see if it's right or wrong? You don't have to to get the Bible, I mean, you have to know God's Word, but you don't have to get the Bible out and flip and look and everything. You can still think about God's Word and filter everything through God's Word to figure if it's right or wrong, if you should do it or if you shouldn't do it. How often <clears throat> does God's Word affect your life? Now, it's real easy here to be good Christians and be polite and everything, but you get to work in, uh, I don't want to bash the fire department, because I'm sure there's a lot of jobs like this. You can probably tell me about your job. But uh, at the fire department, not only you get a bunch of guys around and the public's not around you, they're at the fire station, maybe there's no, there's no kids, there's no women. And uh, not only did they talk about things that they shouldn't have talked about and tell jokes that they shouldn't talk about and do and say things, they actually condoned it. You know, here if I, if I let a cuss word slip out while I was preaching, you go, Wow, what was that? And then afterwards, if we're talking and uh, maybe I'm telling a joke and I let another cuss word look, slip out, you'd probably go, you know, kind of let me know that you're not pleased with it. And if it happened a third time, you might say, hey, come here, we need to talk. Well, heck, at the fire department, they'd laugh about it. And the more you did it, the more they'd laugh and pat you on the back. And Does the word of God affect you at work? Uh, when you're out fishing, golfing, whatever you do, and you're around non-Christians, does the Word of God ever affect you? 
there's jokes being told. And now, you've got a good joke. Like I said earlier, do you filter it through God's word and think, well, I really don't need to tell that. Does God's word affect your language? Does it affect how we talk about people? You know, I, uh, I think it was Peter said, do not speak evil of the king. I may be getting two verses mixed up, but we're not supposed to just badmouth our leadership. Do we do that? Or do, does God's word affect us? Well, maybe that's not the best thing to say. How, often, how important is God's word to you? How often does it affect us? How often do we reference God's word? In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, God says, therefore, you, you know, he's talking about the Old Testament here, but the same idea applies to us. He says, therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. In other words, we don't have to get the book out to see what it says. We know we've got it in here. Uh, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, we might say now as you're driving down the road, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates that your days and, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land in which the Lord swore. In other words, our lives should be permeated with God's word. One of the vital signs I talked about was uh, our O2 sat. Our blood needs to be saturated with oxygen to make sure there's enough oxygen in all the cells in our brain and everything works right. Our lives need to be saturated with God's word. When we tell our kids, say, uh, uh, we punish our kids for lying or threaten them, say, don't lie. And they say, why? Do we say, because it's a sin? Because God's not happy when we do that. Or do we just simply say, because I told you not to. I'm going to bust your honey if you do that again. Or like this verse says, do we speak to them God's word? God's not happy when you do that. God punishes liars. Do we ever, does, how important is God's word to us? Does, does God's word ever come out in our lives every day? <clears throat> what about Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What's counsel? We've talked about that recently. Counsel is advice. We talk about legal counsel. Uh, maybe you want to make a will, and you're not sure exactly how to do it. And so you get legal counsel. Legal counsel. That's legal advice. You go to somebody that's lawyer that knows how wills work and, and judges and courts and stuff, and they can help you word it so that your will says what you want. Because they know more than you do about it. And you want to make sure it's done right, don't you? You get legal counsel. Now, we're talking here, Paul, uh, I guess it was David said, Blessed is a man that walks not, or walks not in the counsel of ungodly. What does that mean? Walk. Walks not in the counsel. When the Bible talks about walk, it talks about living. Blessed is the man. What does blessed mean? Blessed means good things happen to you and around you. God's going to do good things for you. Blessed is the man who lives not by ungodly advice. So where do we get our advice? The guys at work? The teacher? Uh, some guy we were on the radio? I told in a lesson uh, recently about years ago here in Dallas, I was listening to a radio station, and this woman had found two of her little kids in a compromising situation, and she called this DJ 
on the radio to find out what to do about her kids. Do we find out how to live our Christian lives from a DJ on a radio? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Like I said, when the Bible talks about walking, it talks about how we live. We live by faith. What is faith? Faith is belief mixed with trust. Not only did Noah believe in God, believe that he existed, but Noah believed that what God said would happen. And if Noah didn't do what God said, then the opposite would happen. So Noah built an ark. When we live by faith, that means we, we believe in God, we believe his word, and we trust his word. We trust that if we, we do what it says, then, then we will be blessed. We trust that if we ignore it, then bad things are going to happen to our lives. So who do you trust? Do you pick what you like from God's word and then take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and mix it in with a little bit of this? Well, now you don't trust God because you're, you're not just following what he said. Now you're trusting yourself. Well, I'm smarter than God. I'm going to take a little bit of this and mix it in and a little bit of that. Do you trust God's word? How important is it to you? Who do you go to for counsel? The guys at work? Your neighbor? Dr. Lara? DJ on the radio? Let me ask you a question. Now, now Dr. Lara's got some good advice, but just like what I'm saying now, you've got to filter it through God's word and say, is this the truth? But the person that you go to for advice, whoever that might be, or people that you go to for advice... Are they Christians? Do they believe in God? Do they trust God? It's what, whoever you're getting advice from, are they telling you God's word or are they telling you their opinion? Because on Judgment Day, it's going to be God that judges us, not our coworkers, not our mom, not our dad, not Dr. Laura. God's going to be judging us. So, who do you go to for advice? Are they Christians? Are they even concerned? That you go to heaven. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And the opposite is true. If you start trusting the wrong people, the wrong advice, the wrong books, what's the opposite of being blessed? You're going to have a lot of problems. How important is God's word to you? A second vital sign is <coughs> worship service. Now you're probably thinking, well, he's going to quote Hebrews 10.25 to me and beat me over the head for not attending all the worship services. Well, I am going to read Hebrews 10.25, but I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. But let's start in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works. So what he says here is we've decided that we want to be Christians. Now that you've decided you want to be a Christian, hold tight to that. Don't, don't waver from that. And you need to help your fellow Christians to be good Christians. That's what he says. Uh, uh, let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. One of the big reasons that we come here is for each other. Did you know that you can stay home and sing songs and take communion? You can worship God just fine at home by yourself. But one thing you cannot do at home by yourself is be around fellow Christians. Do you think when God said not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, do you think that if you don't show up to church on Sunday that God's going to have a bad week because you weren't there? God's not going to have a bad week. He doesn't need you. However, we need him and we also need each other. Well, I'll be honest with you. And I know that some of you are going to frown at me. Sometimes church is boring. And more often than not, I don't really want to be here. I don't feel good. I stayed up too late. Uh, I just don't want to be here. Sometimes the lesson is not very good. Now, I would be lying if I said, oh, you need to be at church. There's always good lessons. That, you, know, you and I both know that's not true. Sometimes the singing is bad. But did you ever go to a funeral you didn't want to go to? Did you ever really go to a funeral that you enjoyed? I'd rather go see a movie. I'd rather go see Star Wars. Did you ever get up and go to work when you didn't feel like it? Did you ever go to a, your kid's school play that was kind of corny, not very good? Why do you go to a funeral when you don't really want to? Well, because you care about somebody. You care about the person that died, or you care about his family, or, or both. It's important that we take off work and go to that funeral. Why do you go to your kids' or your grandkids' school play? Because you love them. If you wanted to see a good play, you could go to Broadway and see a good play. You go to the school play because you love your little kid or your little grandkid. Why do you send your kids to school? Do they want to get up out of bed and go to school? Of course they don't want to go to school. But they need to learn, don't they? You know it's important. Why do you go to work? Well, it's just a necessity. You can't have a car and a house, and you can't feed your kids if you don't make money. Do you think maybe we could go to church because we love each other and we care about the people that are here? Do you think maybe we could go to church because we need to learn something? You think we go to a worship assembly because, like a funeral, it's important and we care about someone that died for us? All through life, we do things we don't want to. Most of the time, we're doing things we don't want to. Most of the day. We look forward to getting home and being able to sit down and, and read or watch TV or doing what we want to. Most of the day, we have been doing things that we don't want to do. But you know, at the end of the day, when we've done all those things, we feel good inside because we did the right thing. We can look back on our day and know that we did the right things. And we feel good about it. And when you come here, when you're around fellow Christians, you've done the right thing. Not to mention, of course, that we worship God. Y'all are not the audience. God is the audience. We're, we are all doing this for Him now. Often... You being here for other people is more important, maybe, than what you'll even get out of the services. 
what you do for other people. One time there was a guy at church and he came forward and he confessed some sins that he had and asked for forgiveness. And after church, there were two or three other men that came up to him and said, you know, I struggle with the same thing. Now I can get up here and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, no, there's no temptation that's taken you but such as common to man. But when you confess your sins... And a fellow Christian that you thought, like Jeremy, looks really nice and sharp on the outside, and he comes up and says, I struggle with the same thing. How good do you think it makes that first guy feel? He goes, I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm bad, but you know other people are like me too. How good does it feel for those people to hear him confess? They go, I'm not the only one. If he, can, if he can confess it and, and work on it and get over it, I can too. You coming to church may do more good for other people than what you even get out of it yourself. One of the vital signs for being a Christian is, is attending the worship services. And then the third thing is very closely related, and we've, we've talked, talked about it during this, the worship service part. And that's Christian fellowship. And you think, oh great, now he's going to read 1 Corinthians 15.33. You're right. Be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The old King James says evil communications corrupt good manners. What that means is if you hang around the wrong people, it's going to affect you. How many meals have you had in your life? Well, who knows? Did you ever eat one meal... And go to the doctor and said, your health has just turned around overnight. You don't have any idea how many meals you've eaten. And you eat a meal and some are good and some are all right. But you get through eating you feel better because you're not hungry. But you don't notice any change. But stop and think, where would you be? You know, no one of those meals was particularly special to you. And you say, man, my blood pressure went down. But you know that all of those meals were necessary to give you the health that you've got now. And being around Christians here at church and outside of church is necessary and got you where you are now. Although you might not remember any one conversation that just really turned your life around. We don't know how food works on our body and we don't exactly know how our friendships work on our body, but it does. And Paul warns us, he says, be not deceived. One of my pool customers is a widow lady. Her husband died a few years ago. And uh, her, the house that she bought, she moved to Sherman. It's all grown up and everything. And some guys came and knocked on the door. And she hired them to, to do the yard work, trim back the bushes and mow the grass. Well, it was about 11 o'clock, and so they took her money and worked for about an hour and didn't come back from lunch. She was deceived. She lost her money. Paul warns us about spiritual things. Don't fall for it. He says, when we're around bad people, it affects us. Now, we can hide or cover up a lot of the things we do wrong. And I don't mean, well, I mean, we can do it in a bad way too, you know, just not admit it and do it in secret and everything. But like, 
if you've got a bad temper, you try to control it around other people and not let it show. But you know one thing we can't hide? And that's our eating habits. And I don't want to say too much about this lest I embarrass a lot of us. But we can look around at different people and we can see a big difference between Corey and me. We tell some about Corey's eating habits and some about my eating habits. That's obvious. But it's also obvious that we can look at each other and see the effects of our friendships, the people we hang around with. I remember Marlon Cole said years ago, and I wrote it down in, in my Bible right here by 1 Corinthians 15:33. It shouldn't be any big surprise if we surrounded ourselves with ungodly people and then our lives were a mess. It shouldn't be the million-dollar question. Evil communications corrupt good manners. But then the opposite is true also. Being around good people makes us better people. There's a motivational speaker named Charlie Tremendous Jones I've talked about. He was pretty much a comedian too. He said, you are the same person seven years from now that you are today except for two things, the books you read and the people you meet. The books you read and the people you meet. The books you read and the people you meet, he would say. We already talked about God's word, the books you read, but the people you meet, the people we choose to be around. Seven years from now, we're either going to be better or worse. You know, I went to Bluegrass Festival about two weeks ago, and Matt and Connie went too. And uh, I, didn't, I saw a couple of my friends, but there were several of my friends. Guy Robert from Baytown goes to all the festivals. He wasn't there this time, and I missed seeing him. And they had six, seven music groups, and I didn't like any of them. There's only one I liked, so I went in and heard the last one. And I had my guitar there on my back, and I carried it around the whole time. never got it out of the case because there was only one group of people jamming, and I kind of didn't know them. They were doing, and they had enough guitars, and, and I didn't get my guitar out. I went to a guitar workshop by Tim Stafford, and everyone just kind of talked and talked about his guitar and his career and stuff. Went to a banjo workshop with Jason, and uh, uh, Jason's a good banjo player. But I didn't really learn anything new. And I got home that evening, and I've been to better festivals. I mean, it was a good festival, but not my favorite. And I got home that evening, and Angie says, says, well, did you have a good time? I said, yeah, it was really good. Because you know what? I got to be around fellow musicians. And I got to hear Jason play the banjo and Tim and, and I was around other people that enjoy bluegrass music and people are way better musicians than me. It's impressive. And I sit in that workshop with Tim Stafford. He's about my age and he and his band have been together for 25 years now. And I looked at Tim and I thought, you know, we were like this close. And I thought, he's just a regular guy. We talked about stuff, and, you know, they get up on stage, and they look so professional, and they play, and it's so amazing. It's just like magic, and you go, how do they do that? But I'm sitting here right here looking at them, and we're talking. And I was talking to him later. You know, they sell CDs, and I was talking to him and asking about one of the songs he wrote. And he goes, hey, I appreciate you coming to that workshop. Wow. Tim Stafford appreciated me coming to the workshop. But you know why it was a good festival? Even though all my friends weren't there, I didn't ever play any music. It was a good festival because I was around 
good musicians. And it reminded me of how I want to be. And maybe I need to practice a little harder and practice a little more and not give up. And I'll be at the next festival too. Look at the people that are around you. Everyone's just average, aren't they? There's some skinny and some fat, some good looking, some not so good looking. A lot of real friendly people here, a few grumps here. But these are the people that are going to heaven. These are the people that are going to spend, most, hopefully all of us, are going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ and with God. And if you don't like being around these people, maybe you really don't want to go to heaven because that's who we're going to be around. And we're going to be worshiping God for eternity. I don't know a lot of the details about heaven. I know it's going to be really good for us. But basically... Heaven is just one long church service being around Christians. Of course, without any problems, without uh, temptation of sin. If we don't like being around Christians, maybe we really don't want to be in heaven. But you say, no, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Well, maybe we need to start being around our fellow Christians and getting what we can out of that. And, and like Paul said in Hebrews, helping them, doing something to encourage them, make sure that they don't fall when they're weak. Third vital sign is being around other Christians. But who do you like being around? Do you like being out with the guys on Saturday night and drinking? Do you like going to the, the clubs and the honky-tonks and hooking up with people? Do you really? Now you may have a good work environment. I've had some jobs that were good and some were bad. Say that you're in a bad, you know, not too Christian uh, a work environment. Do you really prefer being around those guys? One of the vital signs of a Christian is who do you enjoy being around? As you grow as a Christian and mature, all of a sudden you'll start seeing some of the people you used to like. You don't like too much anymore. You're maturing and and growing, and they're not. Sometimes they just act like a bunch of high school kids. Who do you like being around? And I'm not saying these things to step on your toes and make you mad at me, so I'm never coming back to him. But when we go to a doctor, and he says, I'm really concerned your blood pressure is pretty high. Oh, I don't care. Well, now we shouldn't be surprised if, few weeks, few months, few years, we don't take our medicine, we have a heart attack or a stroke or something. That's why a doctor looks at your vital signs to give you a warning, say, hey, if you don't change, something's going to happen. And we should say, I think I'm going to make some changes. So that's the three vital signs of a Christian, a Christian life, is our worship services, how important the Word of God is to us, and how important fellow Christians are. When I went through paramedic school, you go through class for a while, and they teach you everything. And then after you've been in class, maybe halfway through class, uh, you start doing what you call rotations. And the first, one of the first things they do is uh, they send you in the hospital. Of course, down where I was going, they sent us to Parkland. And we still didn't know a whole lot. 
And so we would work with the nurses in a certain area and we would take vital signs. We would take the blood pressure, pulse, and everything, and we would write it down. And I tell you what, I was scared to death. I was so nervous. First, I didn't want to mess up. I was in a strange environment. And, of course, Parkland, it's just like, what, it's like you being plucked here and being set, put on ER, you know, in the, on TV. Whoa! That's kind of what it was like. And so I was going around taking anyone's blood pressure, and, oh, I was so nervous. Of course, I, had, I was dealing with strangers, and I hadn't taken a lot of blood pressure. I was so nervous taking the blood pressure and measuring the pulse and everything. And I go write it down. I'd go to the next patient. And, and you get some strange characters, too. That didn't help either down there. There were some strange people. And, uh, and the nurse came up to me later. She goes, she goes, why do we take vital signs? I said, well, to make sure everything's healthy and everything. And she showed me a guy's where I had written down his vital signs. And I don't remember now, but something was wrong. And I had just taken his vital signs and written it down, and it was wrong. And I didn't say anything to her. He was in there because he had some sort of medical problem that needed to be taken care of and possibly could have gotten worse and killed him. And I noticed that something was wrong, and I didn't say anything to her. Now, she was nice about it. Of course, I was really embarrassed, you know. But she said, why do we take, what are you doing taking vital signs? I said, to see how they're doing. I said, don't you think if something's wrong, you should tell me? I go, yeah. <laughs> And so that's why we want to look at these things, not to hurt our feelings, not to be embarrassed, not to feel like idiots. But if there's something wrong, we need to fix it. So I hope that you'll take the things that, uh, that uh, we've talked about and look at the areas in your life that you're not happy about. It's easy to see where the problems are. It's hard sometimes to see why we have those problems. Let's quit blaming our problems on other people and the situation we're in and everything. And let's look and see what we can do in these three areas to make our lives better. So we always offer a song of invitation, and this is the time to listen to words of the song and, and make up your mind to change anything in your life that needs to be done. Pay attention while we stand and sing. <laughs>